Good morning. It is a blessing to be here with you this morning. We were out of town last week, so it is exciting to be back. Um, you can open your Bibles to Philippians 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. It's going to be on the topic of unity. And uh, it is, you know, it was really kind of, I'd studied the passage a lot before I started thinking, why is unity such a big deal in God's word? There's lots of passages that focus about unity within the local church, like Romans 15, verses 5 through 6. And I'm going to read a couple of these passages. I think they bring out just how, how prevalent of a theme is that. Uh, it says in Romans 15, verses 5 and 6, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.10 has this theme as well, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you, may, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6 has a longer dealing with this theme. The Apostle Paul says there, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And here it is, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And last, Colossians 3, verses 14 to 15. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Now, maybe you've stopped and kind of wondered, why does Scripture talk so much about unity in the local church? Why is it such a big deal? Well, hopefully we'll circle back to that at the end of the message this morning. But I kind of wanted to, to set that up as we really are going to spend the... Uh, Message time and the upcoming verses talking about unity. So let's look at our text in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. And I just kind of wanted to put that seed there, that, that question. Why is it such a big deal? We'll start off this morning reading uh, from Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. We're in the section of the letter where the Apostle Paul begins to instruct the, the Philippian church. This is a church he'd planted about 10 years previously. Paul was in Rome during this time. The church was eager to hear how Paul was doing as he was waiting to be sentenced uh, by, by Nero. So they were eager for news of him. But he was also responding to some concerns he had heard about the church. One of those concerns was uh, their lack of unity. Some discord had started to sprout up. So I'm going to start reading from Philippians 1, verse 27, and we'll read up to 2, verses 4. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now here's today's passage. Therefore... If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. 
Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Let's pray. Lord, we see that unity is an important theme in your word, and we want to be faithful and responsive. We want to cultivate that here even this morning, Lord. We want to be all in and obeying what you say is important. Father, this passage is about uh, living worthy of the gospel. And part of that is the way that we uh, live out our unity and have same thinking and same love. And so please, Lord, instruct us from your word this morning uh, that we would be changed, that Christ would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. We saw in, in weeks past in Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30, that there Paul is focusing on the, the Philippians' unity in the midst of opposition from without. As the church was going through persecution, how they were to stand firm for the sake of the gospel, how they were to strive together, how they were not to be frightened because of the opposition that they were facing. Paul focuses now in verses 1 through 4 on the unity within the church. Paul had heard how they were struggling with opposition without, but also they were struggling with unity within. When the Apostle Paul called the Philippians to unity, he knew that he was calling them to a hard task. He was calling them to do something that would be challenging for them, even impossible for them, apart from God's grace. He was calling them to live radically different than they did before they were saved different from the culture surrounding them, and different from the instincts of our flesh. And so before calling them to unity, Paul reminds them of their salvation blessings. He places the, this command to unity in the context of their salvation. That brings us to our first point. It's the context of unity. Is the context of unity. Yes, unity, and we're going to see here, is a huge challenge. In lots of ways, it's kind of an anti-American challenge with so much focus on the self and on the, on, the, on the individual and achieving our own dreams. In, in some ways, it is just radically different. So it's important for, that Paul gives a context for unity. And we see that in verse 1. Now, Paul could have said, be unified. Don't be selfish. Get on with the program. But he doesn't start there. He starts really in a very encouraging and very gentle way. And in some ways, I think I'd rather emphasize this context of unity at the end of this message, kind of to leave you feeling really good, saying, oh, yeah, remember all those blessings that we have in Christ? That's why we should be unified. Uh, but in Paul's wisdom here and, and in Paul's logic, he, he starts off, he, he fronts with the good news before making the hard ask. So therefore, uh, and the, the therefore we see here in verse 1, therefore, it's not so much a logical, because of what I've already said, it's more of a, a, a building upon. It looks back to verse 27, and that only we saw of Paul there, that only living, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So this is a further way that we live worthy of the gospel in a way that's fitting, in a way that's appropriate. It's not only by standing firm and striving together in the face of opposition. It's also by maintaining unity within the church that we live worthy. So we see here in verse 1, Therefore, building upon that, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, 
Now, the word if there is not Paul speculating. He's not saying if, like there's a chance, there's a possibility, there may be some encouragement in Christ. So if there is that, uh, it's, it's, it's maybe not as strong as a sense, but maybe sense has more of the idea there. And neither is Paul saying if there is. And he's not just saying, yep, there, th- there is. So he's not just looking for us to affirm facts. Really, he's, uh, and, and he brings all of these uh, four uh, uh, encouraging aspects here together uh, to bring out what the Philippians have experienced. It's almost like flipping through pictures on a phone from a trip you've taken. You know, and you just kind of flip through and you've got all these great memories as you do it. And you don't sit and stare at each one and, and, and talk about everything there. You, you, just, you just want the overall impression. And that's what Paul is going for here. He's going for an overall impression of their salvation trip so he's just kind of, uh, he wants to impact them. Now, we have some, uh, a little time this morning to, 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 to uh, uh, go into these a little bit further, but I don't want to miss out that these come quickly. And then he launches in to the call of unity, and, and he m- means for it to be an overall impression. It's kind of like fireworks that are going off one after another. If there is encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and compassion then do this. It's, it's just bursting forth with this good news. Now, we'll spend a little bit more time looking at these phrases, but as you read through it, just say, this is really good stuff. So let's start off there. If there's any encouragement in Christ, and this is part of the overall context of unity, we have encouragement in Christ. And if you are in Christ Jesus, if he is your Savior, you have been encouraged in Christ, Right? You have been comforted in Christ. You have the encouragement of your sins being forgiven, of peace with God following your justification. You've been encouraged by the reconciliation you have with God that you're no longer his enemies. You have the encouragement of knowing, like Galatians 2.20, that Jesus loves us and gave himself for us. Do we need any more encouragement than that? Jesus, God the Son, loves us and gave himself for us. We know the encouragement of Jesus' earthly ministry, of how he was with people here, how gentle he was with the apostles, how he touched the lepers, how he raised the dead, how he calmed the storms. That's the Jesus that we have. We have the encouragement that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, that he will never die again, that he lives. We have the encouragement of knowing that our Savior lives. We have the encouragement of knowing that he reigns, that he he reigns currently right now, that his reign is universal, that he is with us even right now to the end of the age. These are just a few of the reasons we have to be encouraged. We have the encouragement of knowing him as our good shepherd and that no one will take us out of his hand. We have the encouragement of him being our great high priest. Listen to what Hebrews 7.25 says. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Is that good news? Jesus is making intercession for us now. That's the encouragement we have. That's just a little bit of the encouragement we have. Really, I wanted to spend time just reading through a gospel and saying, what other encouragement is there? Do that this week. Crack open an an epistle. Read through it and say, how much encouragement is here? 
We need that encouragement when Christ asks us to do hard things. And he is going to ask us to do some very hard and countercultural things. Paul doesn't stop there. there. There's another firework that goes off. It's encouragement in Christ. There's also this consolation of love. Now, those two words, encouragement and, and, and consolation, are, 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 are similar words in the Greek. They're often used together. Here, maybe it's a little bit more of that idea of consoling or, or comforting. It's a word that was used when uh, uh, the, the Jews went to console Mary and Martha after the death of Lazarus. It's the love of Christ bringing comfort to us. Jesus was an expert at bringing comfort. He said hard things. But he brought comfort as he points people to himself. He called Zacchaeus down from the tree. He brought comfort to the woman at the well. He said hard things to her. But then he gave himself as living water. This is the comfort that uh, Jesus gives to the thief on the cross. As he tells this man who hours before had been ridiculing him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's the love of our good shepherd and of our faithful high priest, of our brother, of our good king who watches over us, who cares for us, who intercedes for us, who says to us what he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And that's really what we see a little bit this morning, a little bit of the yoke of following Jesus. But... He's gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. As Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He consoles and he brings comfort. Jesus doesn't delight in afflicting us. Jesus doesn't take, take, take a perverse joy in putting us through hard times, in disciplining us. He's gentle. He intercedes for us. He will never abandon or forsake us. And that's good news, right? That is the Savior who we have. That's his consolation to us. Paul continues with another firework of good news going off. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and, and, and I like how the ESV translates this, as participation in the Spirit, as partnership. It, it's interesting how these words are, are put in this mix of these other words. We get encouraged and consoling, and what comes next is affection and compassion. But part of this good news burst, this display, is participation in the Spirit. And maybe that's not as automatically. Well, why is that good news as well? See, as, 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 as individuals who have been made united with Christ, each of us have this fellowship in God's spirit. He is the communicator to us of God's grace. Our spiritual blessings come from God's spirit to us. This is good news. We participate in God's spirit, his life-giving spirit. Romans 5, 5 talks about this, how the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. If you know God's love, it is because of his spirit inside you. In Galatians 4, 6, uh, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That part of us that knows the comfort of God and Father is through our participation in the spirit. We, we, we saw in care groups last year, the theme uh, further uh, kind of expanded in Romans 8, 14 to 17. It describes that all who are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. It's interesting that Paul follows all of this good news after our participating in Christ's suffering at the end of chapter 1. God's Spirit testifies that we are co-heirs with Christ. We have been adopted as Jesus' brothers. That's mind-blowing. We don't deserve that. I mean, it would be mind-blowing to be adopted as the son of a king. But the king of the universe, as as, as the brother of our Redeemer, it's shocking. And all of this good news is communicated to us through God's Spirit. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. All of us, Jews and Gentiles alike, alike have access to God through his spirit. Our worship for God, our love for God, our faith in God, our perseverance are all because God has allowed us to participate in the spirit. It's another firework going out. And here's another one. It says, if any affection and compassion, and he's not saying if any, like, is there any? This is good news. You have God's affection and compassion. You have his mercy and his pity. He has no more wrath for you if you are in his son. You have nothing but rescue, nothing but acceptance, nothing but adoption. That's beautiful, good news. His, his affection, and, and, and Paul talked about, he used this word affection earlier, uh, how he yearned for the Philippians with the affection of Christ, the bowels of Christ, the, the seat of the emotions of Christ. God, you are in the seat of God's emotions, in the seat of God's affections. And that, what's incredible is that is God who is eternally satisfied, right? Who is perfectly satisfied loving the Son and loving the Spirit, and the Son loving the Father and loving the Spirit, and the Spirit loving the Son and the Father. It wasn't like there was a lack. It was perfect, abounding affection in all eternity. And they choose to bring us into that. That's God's love to us. He has compassion on us. He has mercy to us. He is sympathetic to us. He knows our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It's incredible that God has this emotional reaction to us. He sees us in our suffering, and he loves us. He he knows our weaknesses. So these are divine certainties that Paul is launching from. He wants, really, the Philippians, and again, he's going through these quickly, but he wants their souls to be thrilled. He wants their souls to be comforted. The Philippians had already experienced this. They knew God's affection and his compassion. They had had God's love poured out into their hearts through his spirit. They had been comforted. They had been encouraged by Christ. And if we are going to fulfill the call to unity that God has for us, you are going to need to be firming up your resolve by focusing on this good news. By looking 
at this good news. And I imagine that as some of you who have been here longer, have gone through some of the hard times in this church, you had to do this. You had to look and see how encouraging Christ was and how much comfort your, your, your attention had, and, and some, to some extent your affection had to be linked into Christ as you went through those hard times. You had to be affirming yourself of the good news that there was in Jesus Christ to keep going. And that's what Paul is calling on them to do now. Refresh yourself. Revitalize yourself. Be prepared for the work ahead of you. But there's good news. God's character is good. He has sympathy for you. He has affection for you. He has affection. Uh, he has encouragement for you. He has consolation for you. So based upon these certainties, Paul calls them to unity. And we see that in verse 2. We see that call to unity in verse 2. So first we look at the context of unity. This huge background that we have uh, that, God, that God calls us to unity. And now in verse 2 we see this call to unity. And Paul gives one more motive here. He says, make my joy complete. Now, he doesn't want this to be the biggest thing, but it is important here, right? He loves them. He, there is a sweet relationship between Paul and the Philippians. This is, this is a church that he planted. They, they, they cared for him again and again. They sent Epaphroditus to him. They sent money to him. They were supporting him. And so now Paul responds and says, I know you love me. Finish my joy. Fill up the cup of my joy to the brim. Nothing can make me happier than seeing you follow through on unity. So follow through. Now, this is not a rebuke, but it is serious. It's an area that they had weaknesses in. So he's, now, now really, the, the, he's, he's going to call them to unity in four phrases. Same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And again, just like with that previous verse that we saw, there in this call to unity, there, there's, there's an impact of these four phrases. And we're going to try to understand all of them, but don't miss them as one verse, though, right? This is an overall picture of unity. So when he says uh, uh, being of the same mind and maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, he just wants to drive the home. He's, he's hitting the nail on the head four times with this quick repetition of what this unity looks like. It is essential. So let's look at being of the same mind. This is why I, I, I titled the message kind of partially identical, right? It's kind of a strange phrase, partially identical. God does call us to something unique. He makes us as unique individuals with unique desires and unique gifts. We are different. We look different. We smell different, for better or worse. I don't know where that came from, but it's true. Uh, we are all different. We have different skills. We have different abilities, we're, 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 but we're to be identical. And that's what this word same means. It, it, it's strange for us to think about. It's such a, in a sense, a non-American, a non-individualized thing to think. We're supposed to have the same mind. Identical mind, identical thinking. But it's more than just thinking. It's the same intention, the same purpose, the same direction, the same values, the same ruling principles. It's thinking that affects our attitude and our outlook, our behavior, and our decisions. It's, it's thinking with direction. Now, of course, we don't have identical appearance, or identical personalities, identical lifestyles, identical budgets. It's not about not having differences of opinions. It's not about ruling out creativity or initiative. This is not a cult. 
God makes us unique people. It was his joy to do that. But it is about us having the same purpose. The same purpose to glorify God, to exalt Christ, to advance his kingdom. And, you know, the more and more I thought about this, what is the same mind? And it's our unity under God's revelation and God's commands. That's what this same mind is. It is scripture. It is the commands that God has given us in his word. We all are working from the same blueprints. We all have the same plans. We all have different jobs as part of the construction crew, but we all have the same blueprints. It's the same thinking about evangelism. It's the same thinking about husband and wife roles. It's the same thinking about child rearing. The same thinking about work. The same thinking about money. The same thinking about free time. We are all submitting our thoughts under what does God's word say. What we learn from God's instruction is to determine 100% of our day. Everything we do should be done out of obedience to him. We should be able, in a sense, to chapter and verse all of it. Well, why do we eat and drink? So that we can glorify God. All of it should be coming down to God's blueprint for us. This is, this is how we can be unified with the same mind and the same thinking and the same purpose, with no one going rogue, doing their own thing. This doesn't mean that we don't exercise creativity or that we have freedom. See, Scripture gives us the outline that we as a church creatively seek to obey. Now, how we execute God's plan, that blueprint, may, may differ from, from, from house to house and family to family. It may differ from one local church to another local church. But the blueprint, the commands, are the same. So we need to have that same mind. We need to also maintain the same love. Now, it almost feels easier to say we should have an identical mind, an identical purpose, than it is to say we should have an identical love, right? Like, like what does that mean? Obviously, we're limited in the number of, and, and maybe some of you are feeling guilty at this point. Like, wow, there's a lot of people here. I do not love all these people the same. Like, clearly, some of them I know far better. Some of them I have in my house far more. Some of them are much better friends. So what is Paul talking about there? He's not calling us to be infinite. We can... Uh, Breathe a sigh of relief there. The, 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 the same, and again, it is that word. It's the same, identical. So what does that mean? It is to have the same identical commitment to everyone who is part of this body. The same identical commitment to everyone who is part of this body. Now, naturally, our relationships are going to differ. But our commitment, our devotion must extend to all. To everyone. As we're devoted to God's glory and to each other's good. It's not allowing favoritism to flourish in our hearts. It's not allowing grudges to fester over being overlooked or misjudged or criticized or someone saying something about us. It is to be intensely com committed to everyone else's good here. That's what it is to have the same mind. And again, this is countercultural in so many ways, right? Right? I mean, it's so comfortable just to say, it's me and mine. I've got a posse. Like, this is all that I need. But that's not what God's calling us to. He's encouraged, he's, and Paul's saying, look around. And I've done this before, let's do it again. Look around. Scan the room, everyone. 
Yes, I'm looking at you to see if you're doing it. I'm going to scan the room. I try to do that when I preach. You scan the room. Are you committed to everyone here? Are you committed to everyone? Do you have the same love for all these people so that your joy is tied to their joy? And, 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 and Paul's going to talk about that more in a minute. So how do we have the same love? And really, I think Paul exemplifies this so well in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 8. And, 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 and I've, I've preached on these verses. Let's just re- re- review them. I'm, I'm, I'll just kind of commentate as, as I go through. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Begin by thanking God in all my remembrance for all of you. You know, think about each care group of the church. Get that roster and thank God for every one of these people here. That's a great way to be committed. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Offer prayers for one another. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, participate together. Be in this together. Strive together for the faith of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. That's a great way to have the same love by embracing the same purpose. We're all in this together. For I am confident, and again we talked about this, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're going to have the same love for every person here, you, you need to get God's view of them. That they are being transformed into the image of Christ. They are not just a bunch of mistakes and sins. They are people who are going to look like Jesus Christ for eternity. They are your brothers and sisters you're going to be spending eternity with. God is going to complete that. He says, so I'm confident this very thing, so Philippians 1, this, this is how he prays for them. Confident this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me, sharing in this common grace. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That is what Paul's calling us to. A same love. That you all have Christ's love for everyone else here. Can you have coffee with everyone else here? No. Can you have everyone else into your home and take everyone out for lunch? It's going to take a while. Often it'd be a great aim. Try for it. It's going to take a while though. But, but have same love. Have the affections of Christ Jesus. Love like Christ loves. Does, does Jesus love some of you more than others? No. He's committed to all of you. He died for all of you. So this is a love that remembers the whole and prays for the whole and sacrifices for the whole. This is that same mind, the same love. And then Paul says, united, he came back to our passage here, Philippians 2, verse Uh, Two, united in spirit. United in spirit. Being in full accord, it says in the ESV. It's harmonious. It's one-souled. Kind of of interesting thought idea there, right? One-souled. Our feelings, your emotions are engaged in what the whole is feeling. The emotions of the whole. It's not you being adrift or apathetic. It's not you kind of being a loner, not just kind of checking in on church on Sunday, or even church on Sunday in care group. It's not being comfortable in your clique. It's being all in, not just with some people here, but, but, but with everyone here. 
Now, I know that you can't bear, in a sense, every person's burden in the same way. But do you rejoice as others rejoice? Do you weep as others weep? Do we mourn together and rejoice together and exalt together? We share a pulse with those around us. Their heartbeat is our heartbeat. That's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. This is what this call to unity is. You know, we, 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 we I think, have this tendency just to, just to limit, kind of almost just to keep it safe. It's kind of, it's kind of raw to share life with, 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 with everyone here, right? If you shared life with everyone here, we'd be praying more. Because, because there's, there's too many concerns. You, you can't fix them all. You can't help them all. You can't bring everyone a meal. You can't meet every need. It just makes us needy. That, that's what the United in Spirit is. It's, it's our hearts, our emotions being engaged. And then Paul links back to, to a very similar idea he started with in the beginning of 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so uh, 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 in the Greek you'd see he begins with the same mind, and then he ends with one mind. So the, the, the words in the Greek are very similar. Again, it's that same idea. He's just circling back to it. One intention, one purpose, one call, one course, one set of values. And that is we're going to obey God's commands together as we bear one another's burdens. So when you speak about the church, do you say we or they? Do you speak we or they? We, all of us, are committed to seeing Christ glorified as we all are transformed into his glory. We are all concerned with our personal holiness. We are concerned for the expansion of God's kingdom in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our world. We send out and support missionaries, not just the church. We train men for full-time ministry, not just the church or the elders. We are concerned for the spiritual health of our brothers and sisters. We, 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 right? It is us all together. We are brothers and sisters. That's why scripture uses this language. We're a family, under one father. It's, it's beautiful, really. Now, I've said this before. We're going to fight tremendous cultural pressures if we're going to have the same mind and the same love. We're going to have to fight a consumer mentality. That church is like Sam's Club or Costco. And when Costco doesn't have what you want, you go to Sam's Club. We're okay maybe paying to join as long as we get what we're looking for. You know, we, we, we don't look up Yelp reviews for churches. We're going to have to fight a consumer mentality. We're going to have to fight something that's deep in our American psyche of being the self-made man, of being independent, of, 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 of being an, an individual who stands on their own feet. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be working hard to take care of our families. The Bible talks about that. It's not just about, about me and I've got room for church. Paul's calling for something so different. For, for individuals to be part of the whole, to bear the burden of the whole. There's so much pressure in our American lives for all of life to be an Instagrammable moment. 
don't know if that is a word, is now. An Instagrammable moment. So much energy making every party perfect. And, 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 and every family experience perfect. And every makeup and haircut perfect. Right? What, what does that have to do with the same mind and the same love? Of being harmonious. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about, I'm, I'm not on uh, Instagram. I'm still on Facebook, although not cool anymore because I'm still on Facebook. But how often do you, do you just see, this, this is my church, right? There's also a danger, and I see this increasingly, and, 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 and sometimes it can be under great motives, but a family-centeredness. Now, family-centeredness sounds kind of good, right? Should we care about our families? Should we lead our families to God's work? Yeah. But is self-centeredness bad? Okay, you, all, you can nod your heads in that one. So what makes you think family-centeredness is good? So I worry that what we do is we just extend our own individualism to our families. And what's wrong for us as just ourselves, well, if it's about our family, it's no longer selfishness. Now, I'm not trying to get into anyone's kitchen and, and parse apart your life and say, this is selfish and this isn't. I just think it's a good question to ask. It's not just okay because you do it for your kids. That doesn't make it okay. It needs to be out of, of obedience to God's commands, right? That's how we maintain a sane mind. We, 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 we can't just have a bunch of family units kind of going rogue and just saying, I'm going to do what's best for my family. God does call men to lead their families. We do need to be attentive to the health of our families, but that's not what Paul's calling us to here. He's calling us to something radically different. See, every single here, every family here, needs to have the same mind, the same love. So, are, and, and for your parents, are you passing on to your kids what matters most is God's plan for the church? That the church is the center of God's glory on this earth. Like, I struggle, like, biblically, can we say that the family is the center of God's glory on earth? We know that family is very important in God's, in God's plan. But God makes us brothers and sisters under one father. Right? The church is the center of God's glory on earth. Do your kids understand that the church is not a place, but your pulse? Right? It is what you do during the week. It is your life. It's not just something you attend. Right? It's, it's, it's one mind, one heartbeat, one burden, one joy. Now, our responsibilities change as we go through different stages of life. We have different job changes and marriage changes, and we have, we have children, aging parents. Hopefully not too many marriage changes, but children, aging parents, retirement. But those changing responsibilities do not excuse us of being the same mind, of maintaining the same love, of being united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It is hard to manage all of life. So even as so many of our moms are at home spending all this time with their kids, this is still what they're called to, 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 to keep that big picture. And you can see now why Paul begins with such encouragement, right? You can see why Paul begins so encouragingly. It's as if he said, 
You don't have to watch out for you. You don't have to have your back. Christ has your back. Remember the encouragement in Christ? Remember the comfort of his love? Remember everything that's been communicated to you by your participation in God's spirit? Remember his affection and sympathy? You can die to yourself. You can die to your ambitions. You can die to your dreams. Something bigger is here. Something better is here. Paul transitions next, and I don't know how far I'm, I'm going to get here. Paul transitions next into how, in our third point here, how we can cultivate the, this unity. First, we look at this broad context of unity. Next, we look at this called unity. We saw unity uh, described and defined. And now we look at this cultivation of unity. And how is this unity cultivated? It's really through individuals making God-pleasing choices. And we're going to see here uh, that, that verses 3 and 4 are parallel in structure. Both of them have what not to do followed by what to do. And uh, Paul gets very practical and very specific and very in our hearts as he uh, shows us what to do and what not to do. And, you know, honestly, the more I think about it, I think I'm going to have to uh, save this point uh, for uh, next time. Uh, because we really just can't do justice to it. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to circle back, really, uh, to, to kind of that first question. Why is unity so important? Now, this is a point. It's okay to breathe a sigh of relief. Like, oh, third point's next week, because I was getting worried. Okay. I'm going to breathe in, too. Okay. So, let's all uh, uh, read through th th three and four. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. And I'll, I'm going to keep reading to verse 11. Paul further explains how we cultivate this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we can ultimately see where Paul's appeal to unity goes. It goes to Christ being exalted over all. And I do think that that answers a little of a question that we began with. Why is unity so important? Why does Paul spend time talking about unity? Why does he call us to have this same mind, this same thinking, the same love, this being one soul? Why does it matter? And I believe it is at least in part, there's probably many answers about this, but it's about the lordship of Christ. Unity is about the lordship of Christ. See, unity, our unity, points to the exalted status of Christ. When we are unified, when we are subordinated to his commands, we show that we believe that Jesus actually reigns in his church. That his commands are our law. And we don't look at these laws as being burdensome. We're like, give me more of that yoke because it's good. Because I know the encouragement of Christ. 
Because I know the consolation of his love. Because I have participated in his spirit. His spirit is continually communicating to me God's love through the gospel. Because I know the affection and sympathy that God has for me. See how liberating this is and how Christ-exalting this is. Unity exalts the transformative power of Christ as we die to ourselves for the good of one another. As we really live like new kinds of humans. As Christ-like humans. As we have the love for one another that Christ has. That only comes from one place. From our unity through his spirit to the exalted Christ. That's where that love comes from. That's why unity is so important. It's putting Christ on display for all to see, saying, yes, I can die to myself. Yes, I can submit my desires to Scripture's desires. Yes, I can, I can bear their burdens. I can share their joys. I can die to myself because Christ is a good king, because Christ's laws are good laws, because Christ is omnipotently powerful, and that resurrection power is alive in me. When we are unified, we show that Christ is the wise and the good and the powerful and the ruling king that Scripture says he is. And that's why we have to be unified. The glory of Christ is at stake in the unity of his church. The glory of Christ is at stake in the unity of his church. And I do praise the Lord for those of our brothers and sisters who've been here for a long time. And I'm thankful for your unity, that you persevered through a hard time so that Christ could be glorified in this church. And now, as you've been joined by many new uh, brothers and sisters, we need to continue, right? To have the same mind, the same love. As it says in the NASB, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you've saved us for your glory. You've united us as a church for your glory. Father, this church here is a testimony, and it has, as every church ultimately is, a testimony to the greatness of Jesus Christ. We exist for his glory. He is glorious. He is king. His commands are good and not burdensome. Father, help us to play out that, that encouragement from Christ and that love of Christ and your sympathy and affection in our relationships with one another so that everyone in this watching world can see our love for one another and say, I, I, I need to know your God. I, your God must be so good. Your king must be so worth serving. Lord, please, Father, uh, uh, help us to be cultivating this. And help us, Lord. I do pray, Father, I don't want uh, uh, to be convicting. I want your word to be convicting. And so give us wisdom, Lord God. And even as we prep next week for, for at least verses 3 and 4, give us wisdom, Lord, that we would see ways in which we are exalting ourselves, that we have a too high view of ourselves, where, where we've had a wrong kind of ambition, 
I pray, Father, that you would be convicting us of our own personal agendas and the amount of time and money we spend pleasing ourselves and help us, God, to become what you saved us to be, something just so radically different, something that brings you so much glory. Lord God, may, 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 may each of us be so invested in the whole I pray, Father, this for your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would use this passage to bring encouragement to those who are discouraged and comfort to those who are grieving. I pray, Father, that we'd be all united, knowing your affection and sympathy, that we'd be speaking that good news into one another's life in this upcoming week. I pray, Father, that we would have a unity that would show the greatness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.